BCC episode 38, my realization of the day. When I was younger, I used to like get Zhuan and Ringu mixed up. And when you think about it, I mean, narratively, they are completely different. I mean, aesthetically, completely different. So what was so confusing? Was it the characters? Ah, what was, was younger me? cinematically racist please don't cancel me 2021 just started Hello, hello, welcome to the Blayblunt Cinema Club. It is your boy, Devon Taylor, aka underscore Daddy Disco on Twitter and Instagram, and this is a podcast where I get really stoned and I talk about my favorite horror movies, specifically diving into the subgenres within the horror genre umbrella. Sometimes episodes are solo, as I chose to start off the year with a solo episode, but I am back with a special guest um, for this episode. I will introduce her here in a second. Um, I just want to take the time to say that I'm very excited for the lineup of guests that I have coming up on the podcast in the next couple of months. Um, One of the cooler things of 2020 was, you know, being able to connect with um, some of the people within the horror community, you know, beyond just on Twitter, I, you know, was able to interact with them and, you know, make friends and, you know, get to know people a little bit better through their taste in music. So I do love having guests on the episode. And um, within the next month and a half, I have like four fifths or four sixths. I guess that'd be two thirds if we're doing two thirds of like the We Are Horror team. I've had, you know, um, hosts of other podcasts I love on in the past, and I got some more coming up in the future as well, and I have one of my favorite YouTubers um, coming on the show next month, and I will keep that a secret for now. I'll let you guys know about that in a couple of weeks, but very excited for that episode, but we are talking um, J-Horror all this month. It is Japanuary. And um, I am diving into, you know, some of the iconic uh, entries, some of the iconic franchises within the J-horror subgenre, as well as, you know, iconic directors within the genre as well. So for this one, we are going into um, one of the most iconic uh, J-horror franchises, talking Zhuan the Grudge. So before we get into that and introduce our special guest, I just want to make a shout out that I would love, love, love if we could start this new year with some five-star iTunes reviews, you know, go on there, rate the podcast five stars, write a few sweet words in there because I would just uh, greatly appreciate it. You know, we're trying to grow this cult here that we got going and uh, the more the merrier, I always say, and the reviews help you know, get the podcast in front of other listeners, you know, it'll suggest Bloody Blunt Cinema Club to them, or maybe I might end up on a chart or something. That would be pretty cool. So, without further ado, though, let's go ahead and bring our guest in. 
Alright guys, welcome back after a brief little break because I am super excited to introduce our first guest of 2021. Um, she has bylines across um, pretty much every outlet that you can think of, Gaily Dreadful, Something Ghoulish, um, is one of um, the core members of the We Are Horror team as well, um, a super amazing online horror magazine that has been um, going on for a few issues now, and you guys have to check that out. I have an article in the last issue, but let's go ahead and introduce our guest, Danny Bethea. I didn't, I didn't double check your last name before we started, or is it Bethea? It's buffet, actually. I've I've heard both, but my family pronounces it buffet. So, mm-hmm. well, welcome to the podcast. I appreciate having you on today on this uh, nice little lazy Sunday recording we got going on. Um, you are the first guest of 2021. Very excited about that. And um, at 2021, um, for January, we're talking J horror for all of the month. Um, started off um, last week with a little Takashi Mikay. So now we are going on to one of the more, um, you know, um, recognized franchises that had came out of Japanese horror and kind of spearheaded, um, you know, um, a lot of its popularity in the late 90s and early 2000s. Um, but before we get into the movie, let's get to know Danny a little bit. So Danny... Um, First and foremost, are you a smoker or are you a not a smoker? Oh, non-smoker. No, I don't. I don't smoke. I don't imbibe. You know, I don't drink. I mean, you don't I guess- drink either. Wow. No. <laughs> no, I mean more power to you. Like I commend yeah. you on uh, going through a normal life in true form every day. Uh, yeah, it's 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 a lot. Like I wish I had something to escape with, but yeah. Yeah, I mean that's, that's what that's, I mean that's what horror movies are though, you know, essentially, yeah. you know, they you definitely do get um somewhat of an inebriated feeling when you watch some horror movies, I would say. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um it definitely functions in in that way. But uh what is uh, your your background in horror as far as uh when did you when did you get into it and when did you start writing about it? Um, probably childhood. So, I was born in 1990, which I think is a great time, like as a horror fan and even just a film watcher, um, if you're a young person. So we still had, you know, we still had television sets. We still had, you know, TV guide. Like we still had, you know, tons of like, you know, Monster Vision. We had Turner classic movies with their horror months. Like my my family were always horror watchers mm-hmm. and I guess just by proxy of me being like the biggest nerd in the world, I like read a lot and watched a lot. So I I think there wasn't too much like as a kid that I like didn't watch Mm -hmm. or my parents were like, you are not allowed to watch. And I think the only thing that I can actively remember was The Simpsons. Which is weird, right? Whoa, that's a (laughs) that is not the choice I thought you were gonna say. Like that's such a that's so strange (laughs) that of all the things, just no on the Simpsons. Huh. Yeah, weird, what was right? it about? What was it about The Simpsons? Did they ever explain or? Uh, no, I guess because they they saw it was like they saw it was animated, right? But maybe they thought the the humor or maybe some of the scenarios were too adult. But I'm just like, so we can still watch these horror movies, but we can't watch The Simpsons. I don't know. 
I don't, I don't know, know. Maybe, maybe just because of like that, its reputation of, you know, um, you know, the uh, life imitating art <laughs> type of um, supernatural abilities that The Simpsons seem to have. Yeah, <laughs> totally. That show is like a a fortune teller. I'm like, it's eerie. No, like it. I remember I I went like in, down a little rabbit hole on Wikipedia or or and on YouTube one day about like all the different Simpsons, you know, predictions, and it is freaky. Like I don't want to meet any of those writers, um, <laughs> Helberg or whoever the creator. Uh, like no, stay away from me. I I really don't want to talk to you. Actually, like it's crazy. Um, yeah. yeah, super interesting, but it is, but I, it's always nice to hear though, that you uh, did come from a horror supporting family though. Um, you know, and then it just like kind of makes it feel a little bit more natural mm-hmm. going in. And, um, and, and I like that you mentioned, um, you know, the, you know, when you kind of grew up, um, I was, I'm four years after you and, mm-hmm. but I do agree because it's like, especially like me, I always tell people like, cause people, like to like like they think I'm younger than I am but then it's like um or 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 people think like oh you are like still of like this generation it's like no 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 I was like on like that very last tail end cusp you know it was mm-hmm. like I didn't get a high I didn't get a cell phone until I was in high school like I mean yeah, I same. I was around whenever it was yeah watching stuff on the guide and I was I was around for the conversion from VHS to DVD, you know. So it's mm-hmm. like I was right there on that cusp, and I think it was such an interesting time because like my parents had this giant VHS collection, yeah, that I got, got to got pull it. from, you know. I my parents got rid of theirs, and I almost <gasps> saved all the tapes. I should have, I should have saved oh. them, but I just didn't really think about it at the time. So upset mm. about that, but so they had all the VHSs. And then I had my cool uncle, who was the one that introduced me to a lot of horror movies. And, like, as soon as, like, you know, DVDs were a thing, he hopped on the DVD train, like, big time. So, I mean, he Mm. just, like, you know, piled up this massive DVD collection in a time where it was, like, still fairly new. And, you know, people were still kind of getting into them a lot. So, I felt like I was able to just, like, watch quite a bit because he was just, like, he was able to have it all, you know. And it was just, like, Mm -hmm. whoa. Like, because that's at the time when you know you would have more dvds than movies you could find on tv versus right, now right. it's you know the other way around and i'm like why i want to collect physical media but why it's all it's already there it's all yeah. in the cloud now yeah. <laughs> it's it's yeah that's the difference like you remember as well as i do that you had to like hunt for this stuff yes you know you had to go either in the bargain bin blockbuster um wait until it came on tv or like like word of mouth like yeah and something that i think about that was also interesting too is because obviously you know people weren't talking about on the internet and it's like a lot of the times that's when you know uh you know poster art was real important you notice we've gotten really lazy i think over the Mm -hmm. years generally speaking you know Mm -hmm. movie posters have gotten kind of lazy and same with like dvd covers because you know it's not that's not what they're using anymore all the promotional material now they just use you know it's all about the all about the gifs and and the images and everything (laughs) but 
it was like back in the day, it's like sometimes you might not watch a movie, but you would end up watching it because you walk past the case a few times in Blockbuster and you go, oh, that case keeps jumping out to me. Let me see what this is. And then yeah. that's how you find a movie. Like, you know, so I, I, I yeah. and but it's, you know, surprising whenever I mentioned my age to people and then people think that I wasn't around for that stuff because I was like, yeah, like I grew up in, you know, Blockbuster family video too, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting <laughs> I time. Guess, I guess to answer your last question, when did I start writing about horror? Um, Interesting, I guess, transition from uh, graduate school is after I finished, I did basically school, school, school. And then once I like graduated, I was just completely like burned out. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I, I, I hit the wall kind of afterwards. And then, you know, I was like, you know what? I finally want to write about what I want to write about outside of school. So um, I started with Rely on Horror Gaming. I started there. Um, I was already kind of writing some of my own stuff. And um, like, I think one of the very first pieces I wrote was about Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And mm, good um, one. And it's um, kind of constant overlaps with um, like race theory um, mm. of the entity not wanting to uh, inhabit like a certain type of body, the invasion of the body snatchers, like all of those films talking about, you know, the other in their midst and like that overlap with the thing, you know? So um, these like kind of xenophobic, you know, narratives that obviously came out of like, you know, Cold War and, um, you know, who's communist in the community and, you know, just all of these different things. So that was like my first article that I wrote. And then um, with Rely on Horror Gaming, I wrote um, like a four part, uh, like Silent Hill, like breakdown, Silent Hills, Silent Hills PT kind of breakdown and like did like different um, articles for them you know, talking about mm -hmm. game trailers or game reviews or whatever, whatever. And then that kind of spiraled from there. And then I got picked up with something ghoulish. And then I was kind of writing my own stuff on my own. And, you know, I don't know, somehow we're here. So this is um, two, if not three years in the making. So. Oh, okay. And what were you, what were you studying in, in school? Um, so I had a um, dual major of environmental policy and um, gender, women, and sexuality studies. So, so nothing to do with writing or horror or history. <laughs> <laughs> I now, love it. No, no. What's interesting is um, if you know anything about environmental history, it is a horror story. That so, is very true. That's a, such a so, good point. There's so many like. I guess you will call them horror stories, horror narratives um, inside and outside of the United States. I mean, you've got your Chernobyls, you've got your Three Mile Islands, you know, you've got here in the United States, tons of like the 70s was like renowned for just toxic waste dumping and toxic waste coming up out of the ground, like lakes on fire because there's like, you know, chemicals in it. Like, I think you can kind of, the sky's the limit with like the horror stuff you can find like in environmental policy and um, like in North Carolina, we've got, you know, hog farms out the wazoo, like when hurricanes come, the hogs, the chickens may drown. So like, I mean, there's like all <laughs> kinds of horror stuff, like in environmental yeah. history. So I guess that was like an untapped 
part of me, I guess, that like was drawn to it and also just exposing a lot of things that are like going on. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely I definitely do think about like the horrors and like, you know, kind of trace them like through history. But then I never really thought about, you know, kind of going more specific into the into uh, the the histories, a, a subgenre of histories, if you will the mm-hmm. the environmental history so that is a that is interesting but you know that's the that's kind of the way we do oh you know we just kind of follow follow whatever it is like I because like I, I dropped out of college I did not finish college and and I was uh, going for art education so mm-hmm. most of the stuff that I was taking I never really got to bring in like more of my horror interests and get to explore them in those mm-hmm. areas um, I mean, eventually I did once I started, like, finding some of these, like, fucking weird uh, oil painters from the 18th century and, and um, mm. you know, German Impressionism. And I was like, okay, there is horror to be found in here. But, of course, I <laughs> I was out of school by that point. And then I was like, well, now I don't get to try to, you know, write a four-part Silent Hill, you know, paper for, for a class. <laughs> like, I, I would love to do something like that. I truly would, but I just never got there. But that is all good. Um, so we will be getting into, because um, I know you said you're, you know, very passionate about uh, J-Horror, so we're going to get to that here in a minute and see some of, uh, because I'm sure you have maybe some academics to bring into it there. But uh, before we get into that, what was uh, your first uh, horror watch of 2021 for the new year? Um, I'm sure, you know what? Sometimes I like to revisit like horror scenes. So mm-hmm. sometimes not just horror films, but just horror scenes. So um, the bear scene from Annihilation was a, was a rewatch. Like that, oh my gosh, like, mm, mm, That mm, sound, mm. that's that like that scream i remember in the theaters like people were just like people were so unnerved i just like it was hilarious like looking at people's faces during that scene oh man so yeah um midsommar has kind of been hunting me because it seems like midsommar was like the the movie or like the most memeable jiffable movie of 2020 which is interesting because obviously it didn't come out in 2020, but yeah. now now more and more people are like hooking on to this imagery. You know? Yeah, it, it is a, a interesting one. That was one of my watches um, coming into the new year. Um, I was doing, because uh, Nightmare on Film Street, they were doing a, a, a 24-hour New Year's watch party and you could just like join in on Scener. So the first movie I actually watched in 2021 was Hell Baby, um, mm. a very random movie to start the year on. Uh, super funny, though. Um, then we watched um, The Night Watchmen after that. And then Ooh. and then we got to Midsommar. And for me, at that point, it was when we started the movie, it was like 5.30 a.m. for me. So like <laughs> me watching Midsommar with the sunrise in the background. Yeah. For yeah. for the first day of uh, twenty twenty one, I was like, okay, this is pretty cool. This is a vibe right here. But yeah, it was a movie that um, I noticed. Yeah, people kind of latched onto a little bit more, maybe because of you know, like I haven't really seen people mention it, but like you know, the idea of 
feeling pain and emotions mm-hmm. with other people. Mm-hmm. And I would say that is something that stuck out to me on this rewatch of like kind of equating it to 2020 and like, yeah, like how you say it, like kind of, I mean, people dug the movie and were talking about it in 2019 when it was released. But then, yeah, obviously with everything going on this year, um, it kind of took on a whole new meaning. So like, that's kind of what I latched onto is just like, you know, this idea that we are all feeling these emotions mm-hmm. and this like, you know, terrible tragedy together right now. And it's like pretty pretty wild so that that's kind of what stuck out to me uh from it uh what about it what you said um was kind of hunting at you that maybe you would equate to 2020 um the the veneer of everything being off kilter um that like the film obviously has this like floral hazy you know quality to it like this brightness but this like obviously this undercurrent of like horror and everything just feeling wrong and knowing that you know something really bad is going to happen but you don't know what the bad thing is so like there's this buildup of tension that kind of uh in some different ways I guess encapsulated 2020 you know like um people have interpreted Danny's character in so many different ways that um, some people picked up on the kind of alt-right imagery of it, mm-hmm. um, like the the Celtic runes and like how white the movie is, and like um, like all of the all of the recognizable people of color like bite the dust in like horrific fashion. Like so, it's kind of like oh okay, like I I see, I see, mm. huh? But it was. But it, it was a beautiful movie. Like, there's, like, too many kind of iconic things. Like, Ari Aster just has an eye for an iconic visual. Like, Yeah. I I definitely... I was definitely a bigger fan of uh, Midsommar than I was Hereditary. Um, mm. Because I do love the... I love the, the bright... The brightness of it. The haze of it. Like, that's... I love watching, Mm -hmm. I love watching like daytime horse, daytime horror from the seventies. Like that's my Mm -hmm. jam. And that's what Mm. like Midsommar felt like a lot of the time. Uh And, you know, I, I definitely read it, you know, more on the, more on the grief angle. I try not to always, you know, whenever I watch something beyond like, okay, uh, all right, we got our black guy. Let's place the bets. Is it, <laughs> let's place the bets. Is he going? When's he going? You know? And so it's like, I try not to, uh, try not to, you know, go there. But at the same time, it's like, you know, it does go there. But at the same time, hey, everybody bites the dust in a uh, gruesome fashion, this one for the most part. So, I mean, equality all around for um, gruesome deaths <laughs> in Midsommar. Um, and, and I'm a quarter Swedish, so I always ah. feel like I have like some sort of weird, that's like my weird horror connection. Like, oh, that's why I'm like into this. Cause I'm a creepy Swede is why <laughs> people don't know though, because you know, I'm, um, uh, you know, mixed race. So it's like people were, whenever I, I tell them, I'm like, yeah, my grandmother is from Swede and she came over here like not that long ago. And they're like, oh, like that's pretty crazy. So yeah. That's really cool. That is really cool. Um, and I know too, just Danny's story was super compelling, um, like super, super compelling, like like n- 10 out of 10, five stars, acting performance, like every role that she's done, I'm 
just drawn in. Like she gives a hundred in every role. So shout out to Danny. So it's like, oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Florence Pugh kills that performance. Um, absolutely great. And like upon re upon my second rewatch was whenever I was like really got what this like movie and like what she wanted. Like when so many people we're like, what do you do? What do you think about the end? Like, is, does Danny stay? Is she going to go back? And I'm like, yeah, she's staying. She found exactly what she wanted. Yeah, it might be, they might be kind of weird and it, it's a little extra, but hey, she, she, she found, you know, what she wanted in a weird way. And, um, you know, I guess we, uh, it is TBD if, um, the world will find what we're looking for in 2021. But, Let's go ahead and get into our main attraction for the episode. Hulk! All right, guys, we are kicking off. Um, actually, we are not kicking off. This is the second week of J-Horror. Um, but we are talking Juon the Grudge, which is actually the third Juon film. Um, there's, you know, previously Juwan Curse 1 and 2, but neither one of them were released theatrically, um, but Juwan the Grudge was, is directed by Takashi Shimizu, and it is, um, the beginning of the movie explains that the grudge is a curse when someone dies in anger or in, um, pain, sorrow, they will re-manifest as evil and kind of, you know, pass that on to the next person, and it's this, uh, kind of chain effect thing. And I had not, I had seen the American one. We're talking, we're going to talk Jew on the Grudge, and we're talking the American remake, The Grudge, um, today. And I had seen, like, some of the American one whenever I was younger, but I had not watched um, the OG one here. And so, and I also, just because of my memory of the movie, I didn't um, remember the nonlinear storytelling of the film which i love mm-hmm. um it works out really well like it's like almost like anthology style where you kind of mm-hmm. have the different stories coming in intersecting at different points and i enjoy that the film doesn't like explain to you either which time periods they are you just kind of figure it out as the the connections uh form so it was a really fun watch um for my first time around Danny, what made you want to talk this film? It's it's one of my favorite uh, J horror films, just like as you said by proxy of its of its narrative. Um, I love stories that talk about um, ghosts that that return, um, ghosts that that haunt for very specific reasons. Um, mm. Like this this film was like. It kind of tapped into something that I had always kind of been really like intrigued about, um, about how like horror can always just linger in an object or a person or a place or, or thing, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And this, this movie is like kind of at least groundbreaking to me in that regard to, to tell a story like this and how, you know, even like, there can be quote unquote innocent victims. Right. And they can just be taken over, you know, um, haunted or um, just antagonized by this, by this presence. Like no one is safe kind of deal. 
Yeah, that's um, one of the big things that kind of stood out to me was that, you know, throughout these multiple vignettes that you have throughout the film, the the movie's only 90 minutes, but yet it fits in, you know, quite a few different storylines because they're, the, the film isn't concerned with, they're, they're not giving you a ton of character backstory. They're giving you just a, just a little bit, you know, you get to, you get the, know the character just a smidge before, you know, this thing just ends up taking over. And it's just kind of, yeah, it feeds into the idea that it's like, it doesn't really matter who you are, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, like who you are, how old you are, if you're innocent, if you're not an innocent person, you're still susceptible the same way that anyone else is to be like, you know, kind of overtaken by this evil in a way. So mm-hmm. that's kind of the the first thing that like stood out to me that I found was interesting because like I didn't find myself like craving backstory or anything like I wasn't like sitting here going like, oh, here's just another disposable character. They're still important to the grand scheme of the story going on. But, mm-hmm. you know, I don't need to I don't need more than that. And like, that's why I'll say like when we kind of get to the comparison of the American remake. You know, mm-hmm. where it's like everybody's got all this unnecessary character stuff that like, hey, I don't really care about it. You're kind of getting in the way of what's, you know, the the overarching story here. It's about this house. It's about the presence and this evil. Um, So, yeah. So let's go ahead and hop into the opening segment of the podcast. It is the genre grinder where um, obviously every month of the podcast we're talking, you know, an overall theme, but we like to get down um, even more specific than that. So the first things that kind of jumped out to me here is um, we do have a, you know, classic haunted house film, you know, for the, Mm -hmm. I'd say that's maybe the primary. And then secondly, you do have this, this mystery angle as you're kind of trying to fit the pieces together of the timeline and you know Mm -hmm. what's kind of going on and then once the detectives are introduced then you're kind of like along for the investigation with the detectives um so it's like you got the haunted house aspect you have the um mystery aspect and then even though it like is a ghost movie it doesn't feel overly supernatural Mm -hmm. i don't know how to describe that but like i'm not sure so, like, what's some uh, subgenre stuff that stuck out to you? Um, now, what's interesting about this movie, what I, upon kind of, uh, maybe upon first viewing or second viewing, that I was just like, man, this is reminding me of, like, oh, a virus that literally, like, yeah. this, this haunting is a virus that any, any person mm. that, you know, comes in contact with this house or anyone that, you know, it comes in contact with anyone else, um, you know kind of just spells spells the doom the demise for everyone involved which was like oh crap like this and you know obviously maybe this is a spoiler but the final scene when you just saw like you know i think it's left to interpretation but you can basically surmise like you saw all of these missing posters you saw like the streets were empty and vacant that like you could just tell that like this curse had spread you know, from that location of the house, like out into the community, like. Ooh, I actually didn't really think about that at the end, but that is that is ooh, I like that take. So, um, um, if you are new to the Blade Blunt Cinema Club, 
here in 2021. We spoil every movie we talk about. So <laughs> um, if you guys have not seen Juan the Grudge, obviously, go watch it. It's on Amazon Prime right now. Um, but we, we spoil everything. So that is your warning out uh, right now. But, ooh, I, I do like that, the yeah, the, the virus outbreak kind of idea of it. Because, yeah, it's like the there's because there's these people aren't possessed you know Mm -hmm. it's like there's there's possessions but then there's what's going on here where it's they get absorbed like into this like entity and then the entity or the way that i'm kind of seeing is then the entity after absorbing them they are projecting their version of that person so it's not the person haunted or even the person's like ghostly soul lingering around. It's just mm-hmm. like a projection of the entity using them because you see how like the entity like at the end when it's like messing with Rika because it's like switching back and forth between um, its, you know, primary um, uh, Keaku, Keiko form and then like kind of switching to look like Rika and then obviously you have um little little what's his face Toshio running around yeah, mm-hmm. as well and it just like kind of switches these you know for these projection forms depending on um which character we're following at the time so yeah super super interesting was there any other um subgenre things maybe we didn't tap on you know, this film, um, what I really loved was it obviously it tapped into the subgenre of the onryo, also known as, um, you know, the spirit, you know, spirit woman. Um, sometimes it's a spirit girl, but the Japanese phenomenon that taps into um, the fears of a woman who comes back to haunt and torment, usually a man, but usually um, the living um, after she's, you know, been wronged in, in some way or some form. And this really was a great um, kind of, I guess, launching off point for Americans that weren't super familiar with this imagery. Um, I had seen, um, you know, this particular uh, entity or manifestation in some older, you know, Japanese horror films, but um, obviously J-horror um, obviously, like in the in ring in the Ringu series, and obviously in Juon, you know we have this um, this iconic you know image, you know uh, pale uh, white, you know um, usually in body, you know jet black hair type deal, and um, yeah, it's so it, the hair is usually wet and and sliding down there like in front of their faces and stuff and mm-hmm. yeah it which is super interesting because you know you mentioned that that imagery does like you know pop up in other films throughout j-horror um but then like you know i noticed like in kind of looking at the reception that people had to this film it, like it got compared to you know ringu for that reason for having you know that similar um imagery and then but it's like that's literally like the only connection, you know, that you would be able to compare the two films like, you know, so it's like kind of weird. And I, I mean, I even know that, you know, it makes me think about whenever I was younger, like when these movies were coming out and I was like seven or eight, I got mm-hmm. them mixed up all the time. 
you know, mm, mm-hmm. just because of, you know, they kind of had this similar imagery. And then like a couple years later, then I was like, okay, I, I know this is the ring. This is the grudge. Okay. Got it. Got figured out, you know, but, um, interesting that, like you said, though, it's like imagery that if you go through a lot of J horror films, it just like kind of pops up throughout. And, and, um, I definitely do like that. It's like a very distinct, like subgenre stamp, you know, that you can have on your films. Um, so speaking of, you know, iconic imagery, um, I did love a lot of, um, you know, when some of these scenes, you know, where you get like kind of the, um, you know, iconic, um, you know, uh, ghost under the, ghost under the blanket scene, you know, that's always a really good one. Um, but I would say my favorite, my favorite scene though that I thought was so cool was um I believe it was uh Rico was watching TV and then it was oh. like it would quickly switch to um mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. Kayako and then like it would do it again and then like she like and then it like kind of pauses on it and then their faces yeah. like start morphing and like shifting it like looks like it's like melting in the TV and then the TV just goes off I thought that was such a cool scene. That's probably my yeah. favorite scene yeah. in the film. Um, what are some of your favorite things in this film? Yeah, that's a, I, I love how you brought up this film. Even though there's this supernatural element, it still seems so very grounded. And I think one of the reasons for that is the fact that there's hardly any CGI in this whatsoever. Like a lot of this is very, you know, it's practical effects. It's, um, it's makeup. It's... Um, just the actors just really kind of giving their all to either contorting their bodies or their faces mm-hmm. um, or giving these unnatural sounds or uh, things that are just very spooky or eerie. Um, probably some of my favorite scenes is like, you know, the shower scene where obviously the ghost, what I love is like the ghost has touched her. So obviously she's, you know, she's in the shower and like the ghostly hand starts to, you know, just kind of thread through her hair and like clutch like the back of her mm-hmm. head. That one was great. Um, uh, kind of a little bit of a zombie element with um, the schoolgirls, where the girls that she left behind in the house like come to find her mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. bust through, kind of like like a thriller type montage, like where the ghosts are coming <laughs> in and like pushing through the doors and knocking over the furniture to get her and. Um, just like so many different unexpected ways to utilize your your two horror characters. Oh, got to talk about when um, uh, the, gosh, because everyone is interconnected in this. So um, I guess the iconic scene where the woman is riding up the elevator, right? Mm-hmm. And you see Toshio looking at her yeah. as, as the elevator is going up. Like I said, practical effect. I mean, like nothing... And this movie is very quiet. That's what I loved about it too. Yeah. Not a lot of, yeah, not a lot of loud bombastic noise like um, yeah. very di- very different in that regard. Obviously it's a non-western horror film. So using a different type of horror to convey the messaging was just mm, delicious. Like Yeah. Like I kind of had, I kind of had a similar note about that. You know, you mentioned, um, you know, it's very minimalist. It feels pretty grounded. And, um, uh, you mentioned one, um, you mentioned a montage. I love the montage at the end 
where mm-hmm. you realize like where Rika like puts her hands in front of her face like the same way that like other characters I didn't even really notice that and then like they like kind of do the montage and then it's like also like a highlights of hey here's some of the creepy <laughs> here's some of the best scares of the movie um and then they kind of give you a little bit more though of it like mm-hmm. so like in the scene like you know the first shower scene we only see the hand stuff but then it's like in the montage later we see the hand and then they pull out of the hand and then it's you know uh Keiko like standing there again I'm like I'm like that's a this is a really interesting way to wrap up the film but um one thing that really mm-hmm. stood out to me um like you said in the in the groundedness aspect of it was the way that they treat you know scares in this film mm. is mm-hmm. very differently than Americans and we'll get to that here in the remake in a minute but mm-hmm. it's like it it seems to me and like I don't know if this is you know a generalization but just like from what I've seen in J horror movies I've seen is you know the the Japanese culture, uh, they tend to kind of believe in more of this stuff and in more mm-hmm. spiritual things than mm-hmm. Americans do. So it's like when you're watching an American horror film, you know, and the way they have to treat the scares, it's you know the actors giving these big reactions because it's something that they usually don't believe in that they can't comprehend, you know, versus when you have the Japanese culture when it's kind of almost more normal to them that Mm -hmm, they're mm -hmm. like they're not questioning the fact that there's an evil entity they're just like oh there's an evil entity you know so it kind of makes the the horrors feel a little bit more real because they're they treat it more real so really it's like and again like that's why i said like it felt like this film it's so like not character driven in the fact that it's it's not about the you know trying to get these big reactions and like you know having these big flashy scenes it's about just this like you know underlying you know thing and like dread and presence that they can't escape so it's like i like the way that they approach their their method of scares compared mm-hmm. to uh, especially you know, this movie came out in 2002. So, I mean, in the early aughts, American horror was doing some really weird <laughs> shit. They were doing yeah. some weird stuff. So, um, yeah. definitely a difference in the way that they um, kind of treat the um, variant scares. Um, I um, had a note. There was there was a, um, a score, a track that I really enjoyed. Oh, where mm-hmm. was it? Because um, the, the score isn't, like, you know, super pronounced throughout mm-hmm. the film. But mm-hmm. it but whenever it does come in, there's just, like, certain points where it comes in, it just, like, hits a little bit differently. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. The, like, I've noticed in J-horror films that scores aren't as, like, consistent throughout, mm. throughout the mm-hmm. film as much as, like, you know, like, in an American film or in other films, really like not even just American films, you know, a score kind of has a general theme and tone throughout, you know, mm-hmm. versus I've noticed in J horror, it doesn't always like they'll have like something, but then it will have like this random switch up that kind of like comes out of nowhere. And then you're like, wait, whoa, what was that? You know? <laughs> and then it like kind of changes it. So that's something that um, I also found pretty interesting. Um, is there anything else you want to touch on before we, sink down a little bit into uh the american remake 
Um, I guess the last thing would be like, I love that, you know, you brought up, you know, American horror, what American horror was doing during this time, it was changing. And American horror has always been, not always, but like, I'd say from the 70s onward became bloodier and bloodier that this movie like has very minimal blood in it, very minimal gore in it. Like in the blood and the gore that is in it is used so effectively so that when it is there, it just really pops and it stands out. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's um, in the scenes where we do see the violence against Kayako when she was alive. Um, We, you know, the blood that we do see when she is finally, you know, um, coming after our uh, last character, left alive you know what I mean we do see like the blood like kind of coming out of you know the different orifices Mm -hmm. on her body and like um so yeah like the blood that is there is just used like super effectively it's not overly done I think like a different obviously American director would just have blood all over the place you know what I mean but Mm -hmm. yeah like like Takashi mm, like sensei like you really just like this film was like a 10 10 out of 10 10 but, out yeah, 10. that yeah, but the American remake, oh boy. <laughs> well, so yeah, so um overall, I very much um enjoyed this film. Like it's it's such a easy breezy watch. I mean, it like flew by. Like it mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. I'm I was just watching in bed with my tea and I like felt like I blinked and it was over. Like it it's a very easy going watch and like something I could definitely just like put on. Like this is this is like a great movie that I'll like put on in the background like while I'm editing or something because I can, you know, know when the like real good stuff is coming up. I mean, it's all good stuff for the most part. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, you know when the the certain scenes, like you said, it's like, oh, oh, the 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 elevator scenes coming up and then you can like kind of take a break from what you're doing, check it out for a minute. Um so it's something I definitely it's um feels very rewatchable. Um but yeah, I just very much enjoyed the minimalistic approach and like even though for it being such a supernatural film, it very much doesn't feel like that. So super, super interesting for sure. But now let's go ahead and get into the American remake. <laughs> the Grudge. Not not Juwan anymore, just The Grudge, came out in 2004, also directed by Takashi Shimizu, also primarily set in Japan, same as The Grudge. So it's, it's kind of interesting that mm-hmm. it's like, this is a remake, but it's like, really not? <laughs> I mean, it's like, I mean, it's like, this is like the remake in like the literal, like, the, the I always find these scenarios interesting when a... They bring in the same director mm-hmm. and then they like pretty much copy and paste what they did, you know, in the original one, like almost beat for beat. Like, I mean, the run times are almost identical, identically the same. But then at the same time, it does it. But then they brought in the same director, but then they brought in uh, someone else to do the screenplay, mm-hmm. which is weird and interesting so and then so this film they did this after the success of the american remake version of the ring Mm -hmm. but 
they did the complete opposite of what the ring did because the ring at least you had Gore Verbinski come in a you know filmmaker with a distinct visual um, vision you know to do a different interpretation of you know the original story very different like he does mm-hmm. like you know like the the tones and subgenres are completely different between them and um and I and I like the the differences so it's like interesting that a studio would be like okay so what if we one up them what if we just get the same director to do mm-hmm. it again and mm-hmm. still set it in Japan and still have you know a you know decently you know split american japanese cast i don't know it's it's just so weird and then so rewatching it i just felt really i don't know i felt like i was like yeah. i felt like i was watching the dream version <laughs> of of juan mm-hmm. um i mean i don't know it's 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 weird. So what are your opinions on the American remake? Um I agree with you. There you know, it was literally like you said, like a copy and paste of you know, of of Juan the Grudge. Um uh in so many different ways this was a bad habit that the Amer- that the American film industry had hit this kind of rut that it wasn't creating original ideas. It was just kind of looking around to see like what other countries were doing that obviously, like you said, the remake of the ring. Um, we also, I think we got um, dark water during this time, or at least mm-hmm. during the early 2000s, we got dark water. And, we got um, obviously shutter. I'm sorry, we got shutter like, um, which actually is a Thailand film. Oh yeah. That is so a Thai were, film. Yeah. But um but similar kind of premise with a scary, you know, ghost girl, right? I mean, they were just kind of hitting a wall and just seeing like, oh, what's popular? So let's give it to Americans and see how they like it or just like give it to them because it made money or is a money maker and people are going to go see it because people are curious and want to get into it, I guess. I don't know. I mean... I'm not always against the idea of an American remake of a foreign film if if it's like you're if you're if the if the story is gonna change with mm-hmm. you know the story being in a different location with you know a different culture, okay, how are you gonna change the context there you know and I mm-hmm. think that's like mm-hmm. why I said like kind of where the ring succeeds a little bit and or or if you're gonna have the same director come in do what they did with um funny games where you know you have a director that is you know wants to redo their film but is also interested in exploring something he didn't get to do when he made it initially you know Mm -hmm. funny games is you know a close scene for scene remake but at the same time the director did some different like you know filmmaking techniques you know and spun the characters a, a little bit differently than he did in, mm-hmm. you know, his original version and made for an interesting viewing experience, I'd say. But here, it's like, it felt like in bad taste almost, like that mm. the Americans were like, okay, hey, we, we're going to pay you to remake your movie, but you're going to do it our way, you know, in the horror style that we like, yeah. you know. So, yeah. but but do exactly what you did, but do it our way is like just like yeah. kind of the way it comes off. Um, 
I don't know. It's 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 interesting. I will say um, to pull some positives out of it um, that the this film does do some interesting things to kind of solidify like some of those iconic scenes, you know, because like you know, mm-hmm. I don't always love you know a, just a direct homage like scene, but at the same time I like you know some of the um, you know. They kind of made the entity feel a little bit darker, and I like its um the the connection with the water, and like the way that it like kind of like the the movement that it kind of has. I thought that mm-hmm. was really interesting, like kind of adding that little dimension to like kind of portray the entity a little bit differently, and like you know, and then you know the American remake was you know iconic in the time you know people you know think about the the in the trailer when they had the hand scene in the trailer you know and mm-hmm, like that was like mm-hmm. the big like oh whoa that's crazy yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know and then and then they um and i i will say <laughs> i guess this is even a positive for the remake but um more of a positive for um shout out to scary movie 4 cuz i like mm. their par- <laughs> i like their parody stuff of the grudge <laughs> Uh-huh. I think that stuff is actually pretty funny. Um, yeah. Whenever they have, um, they have their version of a uh, Toshio, uh, Toshio, and whenever he speaks Japanese, he's just saying um, like Japanese brands, <laughs> 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 like car brands. Yeah. He's just like Suzuki, Kyoto, and just like saying like random stuff. Um, I do like yeah. that Perry stuff. So. I guess that's not even really a compliment for this one. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, they they still managed to bring, you know, like it, it was a you know success in just the fact like it made um, quite a lot of money, um, mm-hmm. and then it was like very in those early aughts and like you know still early internet days. But like this was like kind of a movie where it's like you know iconic imagery from it and like you know it got you know insert into so many other pop culture things like i mean mm-hmm. like you know in like um like because i think they did like a did the simpsons do one i feel like the simpsons even did like a grudge like shout out Prob- at some point probably either probably either the simpsons or family guy i'm pretty sure mm-hmm. like did did like um did one you know um but yeah, so they they bring in, you know, some uh, some of the different stuff, but then they also just like kind of try to spend too much time on the characters, like I said, and it's like let's focus more on just like this evil and, you know, kind of more yeah. what's doing, but then also you don't have to draw so much attention to it either. You know, mm-hmm. with just like man, the score is so obnoxious. Yeah. In this oh film. my gosh. It's so obnoxious. I don't know. It- well, do, that, can you pull any positives? Um, it was pretty. Um, <laughs> to quote Aretha Franklin, "Beautiful gowns, great gowns." Um, <laughs> it it looked um the movie. Yeah, I agree. It looked really good. Um, I could tell obviously some time had passed between um obviously uh, Jew on the Grudge and this film because you could see where some of the effects were a little better. Some of the um, practical effects were a little better. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying better, like, um, I guess I guess what I'm saying is um, practical effects 
can move along a sliding scale, I guess. And yeah. depending on the budget that you have, they can look like you say, like they can look, I don't know, they can look better or they can look more well executed or um, they I mean, can be yeah. visually more eye catching, I guess. But mm-hmm. um, I'll give it to Sarah Michelle Geller. She, she was a great, um, you know, a great lead. Um, she's not a bad, she's like a pretty dependable actress to um, have as your lead. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, I, guess- I, I, I do want to touch on, you know, the, the makeup effects that you were talking about, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, because they, they were still, you know, bringing that iconic look, you know, that mm-hmm. the J-Horror is known for, but then... Like I said, I, I did like that they kind of add just like the the little bit of aesthetic tweaks to it. Like they kind of mm-hmm. had like a slight blue tint to mm. to the the paleness, you know, because mm-hmm. I mean, Gore Verbinski did his like kind of like, you know, aqua green pale thing. So they kind of brought that in here. And like I said, like with a kind of like the wetness that they they brought into it as well. I will say I love the. um the uh credits the opening credit sequence i think mm. it's gorgeous i think that's yeah. a, i really enjoy the opening credit sequence um yeah so how did I f- yeah yeah how did, how did i forget to mention that yeah it was beautifully done yeah so pretty stuff but on the other end this movie goes with a way different ending that's where the movies kind of uh diverge a little bit um what do you think about the difference between the endings? Uh, when I saw it, like when I rewatched it, I was like, oh yeah, that is the way that the way this ends. So spoiler, um, Juan the Grudge ends with, um, like I mentioned, basically the curse taking over this um, part of Japan and it's kind of in, inferred that like it's spreading further and further and further. And the lead becomes the new Kayako or that, you know, another person um, now is imbued with this curse grudge. Right. Um, But the American uh, film, the way it ends, it kind of ends with like a, it ends similarly in the fact that obviously the ghost finally touches and latches onto our lead, but we, you know, find later on that she survived quote unquote, survived the haunting and is in the hospital. And um, I, yeah, uh, I, I mean, it's I like, know. I, I just, I mean, I like just like the, the, because the Juan doesn't really have like, you know, like a, a big build up and then a climax and then a thing it just kind of goes, you know, it just like kind of floats along, you know, at a, at, at this level. And then at the end, it's just like, it's that the ending is like when you, you think a song is gonna, when you think a singer is gonna like go for a really big note and then they don't, that's mm-hmm. what, <laughs> but then they still hit a like good note. And then you're like, oh, okay, that was still cool. Like that's kind of what Juwan does versus, you know, because, you know the grudge is an american remake they're like nah we gotta have the 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 big we gotta have the light show you know like (laughs) yeah girl set that house on fire and yeah you know all that stuff and then 
but I do like that they didn't like I I don't I, I'm glad that she didn't triumph like I mean I love Sarah Michelle but I'm rooting against you girl because I mean that's just <laughs> the nature of the movie you know so I'm glad that you know they do end it with like the house you know survived through the fire gotcha bitch and then oh and you're still infected you know so yeah um so it's not a bad ending but at the same time it's just like it just like it's very much like the american horror ending that you would expect from it i guess the similarity would be is that like we say the curse remains like regardless of whatever you try to do whatever you think you're gonna do like no like this like this entire ground is you know is sour it's tainted it's like pet cemetery you know what I mean like Mm -hmm. the 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 burial ground that you know don't you know don't live here don't bury anything here you know what I mean like that this place is beyond like hope or salvation in a sense yeah um that the that the that what happened there was so horrific that you can't stop it, which is obviously the way the Japanese film ends that you're just like, Oh wow. Like, yeah, there's no stopping this. And then obviously in the American one, they allude to that as well. That like, you know, the curse stopped, the ghosts can't be, you know, just exercised away or like, you know, yeah, this the conclusion. I, I do like some horror film. I do like a lot of horror films that sometimes in that way, mm-hmm. um, that yeah. are just like no no the monster's not defeated the evil's not over <laughs> like i just like i mean i i love bleak endings of course but like just something about the ending of the original being like don't even try to do anything <laughs> like there's no point <laughs> like don't even try it's just you're done you're done yeah. you're fucked that's it end of the story and for mm-hmm. some reason that's very satisfying to me at the end of at the end of it because like at the end it's just like well rika you're one now bye bye you know and <laughs> i don't know something about it just feels feels nice um so to um conclude this episode have you seen any of the sequels and if so what are your thoughts are they worth my time um i've seen snippets of some of the sequels and then i'm like even familiar with the fact that there's this huge kind of crossover explosive loud movie with you know oh boy (laughs) the overlap of the ringu and grudge franchises i was like this you know is you know kind of synonymous with even like great directors get pulled in by their own film industries yeah to to keep milking the cash cow to keep this money train going like you know that thing you did remake it but have these two meet and like it's it's very like frankenstein meets the wolf man kind of thing yeah um, it's just like sometimes it it, it just doesn't always work i but it's like i applaud the audacity i suppose because sometimes yeah. i mean I, I i wish there were i wish there were more crossover movies but i wish they weren't all the same you know yeah. all crossover movies do the exact same thing it's always blank versus blank why does it gotta be blank versus blank well if it's just blank you know happens to be in the same bar as blank and some shit goes down <laughs> i don't know right you know, like they, I think there could be um, better crossover potential, but yeah, just super hilarious that 
that's where we got to. There's two of them too of the of the verses yeah. of the verses yeah. ones. Oh I find that just uh, hilarious. But um, I do kind of I was curious about um, going back and watching Juan the Curse mm-hmm. and just seeing and seeing what I think about it. Uh, we'll skip the 2020 uh, remake mm. though. I just yeah yeah I, I like um. Yeah, me and Tyler Liston will be talking the Ringu series, which I like mm-hmm. the American Ring movies like quite a bit. Um, I just never had latched on to this one. Um, and luckily, yeah, I don't really care for the American one, but the original was um, real good, though. So I appreciate you suggesting this movie um, for J-Horror Month. And I appreciate you coming on the show, Danny. So uh, thank you so much. Where can uh, the people find you? Yeah, you can find me um, at Danny Buffet uh, on Medium. So that's D A N I B E T H E A um, on Medium or at the Danny Buffet on Twitter. Um, and that's where you can find all of my work, where you can just find me tweeting and reblogging stuff. And um, like my Twitter account is maybe like a, I don't know, like a gateway into my mind and my thought process. <laughs> so in and out of writing, I guess. Yes, we love an in-depth Twitter account. That has been what I use it for above all else as well. Um, I yeah, I've appreciated um following you. I, f- I think I started following you. It was like a few, it was a few months ago before even um we are horror because I had seen a couple of your articles. I think it was from something ghoulish because I'd been connecting with more of you guys as well. Um, we mm-hmm. love the something ghoulish fam here on the podcast. And uh, but yeah, Danny is a busy, busy bee. Has many articles floating around the internet, so I'll make sure to uh, retweet some of them, and you guys can find those there. But uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Um, I guess my last plug will be um, if you want anything, uh, not necessarily a movie night, but a game night, if you have it, or if you can watch the footage from it. Um, PT slash Silent Hills. Um, is a great crossover with the same exact themes that we're talking about here with curse grudges and a house being imbued with uh, a malevolent presence and a ghostly child. And so I can't recommend it enough. Check out on my Medium page um, where I actually did um, talk about the overlap with um, Juan, The Grudge, and uh, Silent Hill. So be sure to check that out. Yeah, that seems that sounds a lot more interesting than a crossover with Ringu. That sounds like way more interesting. <laughs> yeah, um, it's it's wild. Um, Hideo Kojima, Guillermo del Toro, Junji Ito, like really like put their foot in that game. Like hmm. if if it, if you've ever played it or seen the footage from it, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. That you're just like, whoa, the parallels here are unbelievably like almost like beat for beat the way the hauntings happen huh yeah Ooh. well i'm gonna have to check that out for myself thank you for that yeah no problem no problem thanks again for having me on the pod it was it was great it's great to finally meet you and be on the pod and i can't wait to uh experience the rest of jhar month yes i love that the podcast has brought me uh to all my internet homies you know screen to screen 
I very much uh, <laughs> appreciate it. But yeah, J Horror Month, we got more coming to you guys. So stay tuned. And um, I just have a few more things before we close out the episode. <laughs> Yo, shout out to Danny Bethay bringing the heat as the first guest of 2021 here on the Blay Blunt Cinema Club. Absolutely loved um, the discussion that we had uh, about the subgenre stuff. You know, that is my favorite thing here on the podcast and something I even want to spend a little bit more time on um, going forward on the podcast because, um, you know, whenever somebody does bring an interesting angle like that, I mean, come on, Danny's virus take on Juwan was so interesting, and like, that's the kind of shit that I'm looking to explore here on the podcast, so I am super excited to see what um, my other guests uh, for the rest of the month are going to bring to the table, but that's going to go ahead and do it for this week's episode of the Blay Blunt Cinema Club. New episodes every Tuesday. Join us next week as Mary Beth McAndrews comes on to talk a couple J-horror hidden gems with me. Make sure you are following the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at BloodyBluntCC and my personal Twitter and Instagram pages at underscore Daddy Disco. Until next time, guys, stay lifted. <laughs>